working. Test, test, test. Testing. <clears throat> testing. Testing. I think it's on. I think it's working. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a while. So I'll start again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. My name is Steve Smith, and I'm your host, and got something a little bit different for you. This one, look, I have had a break. I've been unwell. I lost my voice for two weeks, two bloody weeks. Can you believe it? I could barely speak. In actual fact, I really couldn't speak at all. And that's in part what uh, what you'll hear about in this podcast a little bit as we go through. Look, this is a great podcast. This is one that I've been wanting to bring to you for quite some time. It's uh, I just... It's the boardroom. This is the boardroom segment of the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast, and it has been a while since I brought this one to you. This is a special interview. It's been a good couple of years in the making. Finally got the chance and the time to do it, uh, albeit I do apologize for the uh, for the clearing of the voice a few times in this interview. You'll hear it. I was struggling towards the end, and no sooner had we finished the interview that um, I pretty much started losing my voice altogether so and then subsequently lost it for the best two and a half weeks afterwards so I've been unwell family's been unwell that's why it's been a while to put this one together but I'm really pumped to be able to bring it to you very excited as I said the the boardroom segment of the golfing greenkeeper podcast this is an interview with the one and only Matt Goggin and we're talking about Seven Mile Beach and what's going on down there in Hobart Tasmania we recorded this back at the beginning of August so it's a little bit delayed and I'm pumped about bringing it to you. Of course, I want to make sure that I let you in on something. You have to listen to this podcast right to the end because I'm doing a little competition on social media about this podcast afterwards. And there's a question, a question that I need answered by somebody correctly, and you're going to win a prize. And you have to hear the podcast and you'll, you'll hear what it's all about when you get there. Make sure you listen to the end with myself and Matt and uh, and make sure you then jump onto my socials and I'm going to start showing you uh, some details about how you can enter the competition, get in the competition to win a prize. You're going to want to be in it. You're going to want to win the prize. Trust me, I've got absolutely no doubts you want to be part of it. So um, make sure you listen right to the end, like I said, and, uh, and keep an eye on my socials because they're going to be tied together and so I can give away this prize. This is episode number 84. The boardroom segment of the Golf and Greenkeeper podcast is sponsored by the Social Media Birdie. The Social Media Birdie is a business that is specialized to look after the social media and digital media of businesses in and around the golf industry. That's what it's all about. The Social Media Birdie is headed up by a dynamic duo of social media expert Brianna Graydon and golf expert Steve Smith. Oh, wait, hang on. That's me. Sorry. I'll start again. Is headed up by a dynamic duo of social media expert Brianna Graydon and golf expert me. 
Brianna's passion and expertise is sought after by numerous industries that have seen her speak on all things social media at national conferences this year alone in Melbourne and Sydney, just to give you an idea of Brianna's background. And of course, most recently, just a few weeks ago at the Sydney International Convention Center. Now, if you want to make a difference with your social media, digital marketing, or even improve your website at your golf club, at your golf business, any any business that's in and around the golf industry, that's where we come in. Look, we believe we have the expertise and the experience across both the social media, digital marketing industry and the golf industry to make that difference for you. We can make it happen. For more information about The Social Media Birdie and who we are and what we can do for you, head to our website at thesocialmediabirdie.com.au. That's birdie, spelled B-I-R-D-I-E, if you're not sure, thesocialmediabirdie.com.au. Or send us an email at tweet at thesocialmediabirdie.com.au to chat to us about how we can help you. Guys and girls out there, if you're working on the golf courses or if you're golf golf employees or wherever, pass this on to your general managers, to your presidents, to your captains, to people who are the decision makers in the golf clubs to see how we can help you get your messages out there and get your digital presence right. The Social Media Birdie, we're better than par. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something pretty special. We're ticking a few boxes here and uh, at my end that I we're launching into a whole new stratosphere, to be honest. This segment is going to be called The Boardroom, where we get a chance to talk with owners of golf courses, general managers, board members and the like. So we're diving into a bit of the background of how clubs and golf courses function. It's a little bit different, like I said. I've, I've had a couple of owners on in the past. I'm really excited to this international star, Australian golfing champion, and uh, and and certainly the man behind a pretty impressive project that's coming up. It's it's the one and only, it's Matt Goggin. G'day, Matt. Welcome to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. Hey, Steve. How are you going? Mate, Are I you am... the Golfing Greenkeeper or Steve okay? Uh, St- mate, Steve's good. I think the other one's just a bit of a long handle. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go with Steve. I'm happy with that. I know Roscoe from the My Love of Golf podcast calls me Stevie. So uh, every now and then it's Stevie, Steve, or Steve. Oh, mate, I don't care. It's all good. It's all good. Now I I want to I want to get this really going. Uh, we're doing this one via Zoom, which could be a little bit interesting. So we'll see how the uh, the the signal goes every now and then. We've got a couple of little delays uh, yeah, to yeah. and fro, but hopefully it's stable enough, mate. So look, this is like I said, it's the boardroom. I appreciate your time. We're going to try and dive into a lot of the background here, um, a little bit of architecture stuff, a little bit about you, but mostly obviously about Seven Mile and this wonderful project. Mate, I'm going to do an icebreaker to begin with, which is what I do, and uh, it's called Steve Super 7. It's quick fire seven questions. Now, you haven't seen them, and uh, I, I, I have this uh, for usually for superintendents and greenkeepers that I've asked, but... Mate, you're well travelled. This is this is a new golf course thing that you're doing. <laughs> I don't have any idea about greenkeeping or or the likes. So well, these I'll just things. Be bamboozled. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's very generic, and uh, and uh, and the idea is for a bit of fun, mate. So let's do it. Number one, sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunrise. Very good. Number two. Now this is going to go into a little bit of what's going on with Seven Mile. How we're going to unfold down there? Dogs or no dogs allowed on the golf course? I know I like dogs on the golf course. Have you? Uh, is it something? Do you have a, a pup? Have you had a pup to go around yourself? Or yeah, no, I've always had, always had dogs. I got a couple of dogs. One will definitely come in here and start barking at some stage <laughs> during this. But no, I love dogs. <laughs> I'm definitely a good dog person, not a cat person. Not a cat person. That doesn't, you know. 
turn off too many of your listeners. No, uh, look, I, I, I don't think so. I think uh, lots of people love dogs, and the idea of, of having dogs out on the course every now and then when you're playing, we've seen it on some courses that are moving forward, I suppose, in being progressive. It's a little bit of a different way of thinking, which is, I think it, it just... It's an interesting one because you could, if it's like if everyone's doing it, then it just becomes a nightmare. But if it's a few <laughs> people, it's all right. But if, if you had 160 dogs out there on a big day, it would be... Uh, It'll be an interesting day. I take my superintendent's hat off because when I was doing my time and the likes and I used to see people walking dogs and they'd run through bunkers and that, I, I, I was brought up and, and I was I was being taught from a, a super that was like, that is not happening on our golf course bar none. And yeah. I used to basically be the person who would tell people politely to get out. But uh, I've since grown up, I think, and a bit more of an open mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now number three. Uh, and I'm your first professional golfer I've had on here, so this is really interesting. Stripes oh. or no stripes on fairways for presentation? Um, I think stripes are better. Oh. When you say no stripes, you're talking so like the half cut, half yeah, cut, black and white as we call it, or yeah. you know, yeah, half and half. You know, I would say that is a that is a staff who are just interested in doing the bare minimum, getting through the day, getting through the week and doing the same routine and the same mowing pattern and they don't have any attention to detail. If they don't have attention to detail, they're probably not very good at it. Okay, there you go. That's, <laughs> I like that. That's going to knock a few people around, I reckon. I like it. I like it. Well, It'll... I mean, like I, I've definitely played at some courses a lot. Yes. Um, maybe one of my old local golf courses and they definitely just mowed it the same way and you would literally have short shots out of grass that had been mown the same way for so long that it was, I don't know, four or five centimetres long when it's like a yeah. you know, 20 mil cut or something. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, even, yeah. 15 mil cut. And it's like, what are we doing here? We're pitching out a rough in the middle of the fairway because you can't be bothered changing direction. <laughs> and most courses, without being silly, most courses can't do an Augusta where it's all in the one direction because no, they just don't have course, that, yeah. you know, so... Mate, good answer. We haven't Just had that one up. before. If you're going to go half and half, maybe switch direction. That's right. That's that's again. what you do. You got to turn it around so you get a better cut. Yeah. Everything is all about quality. Yeah. If 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 you if you switched on, and I'm not being unfair to people, I don't think. <laughs> all right, mate. We move on. Number four: green coloured sand or natural coloured sand to repair divots. Uh, I don't think it makes that much difference. I mean, the grass should grow through pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's literally a visual thing. I mean, it's a visual thing. I'm, I'm not, I don't, you know, don't it, it doesn't bother me either way. Take it's, it or leave it. It's not going to be a, a big boardroom meeting no. with you and, and some of the key executives at Seven Mile when you come up with a decision no, maker. Again, it could go down to if it's a poorly designed golf course where you get a lot of divots in one particular chipping area and yes. it just looks like a sandy hole and you want to paint it green or make it green, maybe there's something wrong with the architecture, not with the sand. No, oh, I'll leave that one. We might bring that one up soon. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Number five, a favourite grass variety. Of all the courses you played, mate, all over the world, do you have anything that you prefer to play off in terms of, like, say, golf shots, fairways? I mean, to be honest, the fescue grass or the mix of fescue or whatever you find on sort of the coastal courses in the UK, Yep. especially the further north you get, like, it just – it's a – just great to hit off. Awesome. Great to hit off. I mean, awesome. obviously, I've played super manicured golf courses all over the world, but there's something about the the old turf that yep. feels pretty good. The old fescue. It doesn't have to be just pure monoculture. It can be a whole heap of blends. But 
Yeah. I like that one because I think that's uh, that leads to a more sustainable golf course, if I'm being brutally honest. A mix of different yeah, types yeah. of things. It doesn't need to be a monoculture. You've, you're ticking my boxes here, mate, very well. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, a preferred style of golf course. It's a multiple choice. And uh, and and well, we can't put seven mile in there because we're not there yet. But preferred style of course to play, and I'm not even sure if you've played all of these. We start with Cape Wickham, Kingston Heath, or Elliston. All quite different in their own way. But do you have a preference of style there? Um, if if I'm only allowed to choose between those three, it yep. would probably be Kingston Heath because I think I like the sand belt. The um, I mean, I love the pure links. To be honest, like if, if there's something about going to Great Britain. Uh, or Scotland, you know, and playing. Um, there's just something when you walk out there, it just feels like real golf. There's just something yeah, okay. about it. Everything about the atmosphere, everything about the clubs, everything about the weather, whether it's a nice day or a terrible day, that feels like real golf to me. Well, um, Cape Wickham spectacular. Kingston Heath, I love Sandbelt golf courses. Ellison, I haven't played, but I've seen a lot of pictures of it. And, sure. Um, yeah, they're all great-looking golf courses, but I would say none of the above. Matt Goggin box over here. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> all right, very good. And, mate, and the final one, number seven, if you could walk around, and this one interests me a lot, if you could walk around, not play, just walk, any golf course in Australia tomorrow, which one would it be? Uh, Royal Melbourne, composite. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just love that place. I, and it's probably because I have played it so often and I just I um, spent time working in the shop there. I worked in Australian Open there on the range. Oh, really? Spent so much time. Yeah, I spent so much time there um, sort of between uh, just after I finished high school and I just, everything about oh. that place I love. Wow. How long did you do that for? Um, it was from the Australian Open through till, it was probably like three or four months, I reckon. Yeah, Nice. And cool. I think I played the composite course every night because it was daylight savings. As you do, and <laughs> as you do, because I was a member. I was a member at Royal Hobart, so we had sort of the reciprocal ride. Okay, so I was okay. Sort of doing, I, I worked the on the range at the Australian Open, and then I stayed on and worked um, for Bruce Green just casually in the shop, wow. just doing you know most random things. It was probably <laughs> just more doing me a favour than anything. But I would play every night, um, and I reckon I was the only one out there. So you can imagine just every night so playing the composite. Wow. And it was just me. That... I didn't see members or anyone. <laughs> that is the stuff of legends, being able to tell it's that nuts, story. Right? That's it's a little different now. It's a little busier now, but that was like sure. in the early 90s, and it was just empty. Wow. Hard to think of that, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's just, yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. Well, mate, that's Steve Super Seven. Thank you. <laughs> We've got some. I think we're going to be able. People will compare. It's something that goes between everyone, <laughs> so people will listen and uh, and compare their thoughts and they think about their own and compare that to to your responses as well, mate. So thank you very much. Good fun. Now a little bit of I've I've done a little bit of research here, mate, and and you might be able to correct me some of this stuff because I, I just remember you being the Matt Goggin that I would see. Uh, was it bucket hat? Is that what you used to wear? When you're out playing, no, no, didn't wear a bucket hat. Oh though. no, maybe I'm, no. maybe I'm thinking of maybe something else. Maybe that was else. Michael Barry. Oh, okay, maybe not. But I remember the long hair anyway, and yeah. uh, and out on on the tour was and Tommy Fleetwood before there was Tommy you Fleetwood. <laughs> there you go, very good. But you played plenty of you played plenty of golf, as we've said, and and I've got a little bit of background just to give people an idea because not everyone knows who you are. Certainly, probably even younger people might just know that you're this guy trying to build a golf course in Tassie and know some of your background. But I've got you know that you were here in 1994, the Tassie Open winner as an amateur at Huntingdale, and that's pretty good. 
pretty good start in your early years. Tassie Open, no. So I won the I won the Australian uh, Amateur sorry. at Honeydale. Australian Amateur. I won Honeydale. the Tassie Open at. Um, it was actually, it was at Alveston. Okay. Um, yep. Up, nice. Up there, and I won the Tassie Amateur that year as well. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, so that was a good year. In the mid in the mid nineties, ninety four, ninety ninety five. I won the Tassie Amateur in I think ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. Won the Tassie Open maybe in ninety four and won the Australian Amateur in ninety five. How old were you would have you have been then? Uh twenty and twenty one. Yeah, right. Wow. Okay. Is that just I just come out of the um Australian Institute of Sport, basically. Okay. And yeah, right. Because you're a proud Tasmanian, of course. This is all you, yes, you said you're early yeah, yeah. early early golf in, in Royal Hobart. Yeah, I actually played um, the first course I was a membership was, was Tassie, okay. Tasmania Golf Club, and then I was a member at Royal Hobart at the same time because this was back when it was eighty bucks to be a member of you know, <laughs> Royal Hobart as a junior for the whole year. And I think it was fifty for Tassie. So wow, um, I used to play both, um, and then I just it was all Royal because once I started playing a lot, the practice facilities at Royal, even though that they weren't great, there was just like a nice big practice fairway while Tassie. I don't know whether you've been there. It has that sort of high tee that hits down to the road, and it's okay. it's, it's not no, great. It's not great. It's more of a warm up. Go hit a few before you play than it is like a practice range. So right. I spent more and more time at Royal, and that just sort of became my home club eventually, full time. Yeah, wow. And then obviously onwards and upwards. And we've got you. I've got some of the stuff here. You obviously had a number of professional wins. You're a winner in Australia in 1998. I've got uh, the ANZ Championship at Royal Canberra. Yeah, it was used, it, when we used to have a tour championship, so that was sort of like the last one of the year. Okay. It's, yeah, so that, that, that's... No, probably 98 sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go from memory. You're, I've got your second in the 08 Australian Open that was at Royal Sydney back then. Yeah. That's a pretty uh, pretty impressive finish. Um, five yeah, times. I managed to finish second in all of them. Which oh, is, right. I don't know whether that's good or uh, is it something to be, well, to I... be um, happy about or just disappointed about. <laughs> yeah, it the depends. PGA, the Aussie Open and the Masters. Well, yeah, right. Well, I mean, you, you're obviously fighting it out. Do you want? You're there to win. You're not there to come second, obviously. That's but right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. no professional, but I'm sure that's how the mentality is that you go out there. Uh, five-time winner on Web.com Tour. Two-time winner on the Challenge Tour. You played in all the majors. Is that right? So yep. You played Augusta, the US Open. That's that's incredible mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I'm just trying to build the picture for people, like I said, that don't know who you are. I've got here your highest finish was tied fifth in the 09 Open Championship at Turnbury. Yeah, in, the, in a major, yeah. What was that like, playing yeah. a place like Turnbury over there? You talked about those courses just before. Yeah, no, Turnbury was awesome. It was the I played in the last group with Tom Watson. That was the year Tom Watson. Wow. Nelly won. Um, obviously, I think I was tied for the lead with five holes to go off something like that so it was um you know obviously my biggest disappointment even though it was probably you know one of the most memorable days it wasn't memorable for a lot of the right reasons <laughs> for me but still uh, it was still you know something to look back on with some pride oh absolutely i'm looking at it going i'm interviewing Mac- again i'm just Interview on Matt Goggins, building seven. Oh shit, fifth open champion. Okay, right, got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's huge. Now, one little bit that some people want to know, and I didn't realise doing this bit of research, is your mum, Lindy Goggin, uh, was was she achieved so many things in golf as well. She was fantastic at golf. Can you tell us a little bit about your mum's yeah, yeah. background? Yeah, she was a you know a uh, four time four time Australian amateur or three time Australian amateur winner, four time Victorian amateur winner. Wow, she won the individual in the. Spirito Santo, which is the women's 
individual at the World Cup, basically. And then that team won with Edwina Kennedy and maybe Jane Locke. She was runner-up in the US Amateur. She won the first Australian um, women's PGA <laughs> as an amateur. She never turned pro, but she represented Australia okay. for 20 years. And she was wow. you know, she's in all the, all the fames. And, wow. Wow. Um, and yeah. I've got, I've got. She the, she's got the Order the of Australia she was, medal. She was probably just before, um, you know, a lot of women. She had to go and live in America, so she decided she had a young family. She didn't want to do that, so right. she never chased turning pro. But she was, you know, probably one of the best players in the world that didn't go on and turn pro. That's for sure. Wow, that's staggering. And I've, I've got here that she's the winner of the or been awarded the Order of Australia medal for her services to golf. Yep. That's yes. yeah. That this is I again. I had no idea. I'm just, man, I'm just building all this that's stuff. Right. Did you guys Probably own? Today, what my mum's up to? <laughs> Did you? Yeah, that's right. Did you guys own golf in Tassie in Hobart? What's this? That, that's pretty. That's um, a pretty awesome yeah, well, thing. Obviously, mum was, you know, growing up down. Well, okay, I'll put it this way: every time I went to an Australian tour event, all the ladies members asked me how how's mum and was mum there they were more excited if mum was there than if I was there <laughs> even when I was a top 50 player in the world I was just like is Lindy here I haven't seen Lindy is she out here following you know, that, so it didn't, and it didn't matter which club we went to it, it didn't you know every every whether it was in Adelaide or whether it was in Perth really you name it Brisbane Sydney Victoria they all knew her. even when I went to New Zealand Wow. Okay. That's well. That's impressive. We're building. We're building the picture of of Matt Goggins. Did Did you get into golf because your mum was playing a lot? And I assume, not really. No, it was kind of like it was always around, so okay. it was always available to me. And yep. I played a lot of other sports, and it was like most people. You you start with your you know your grandfather's clubs or a cut down set, and back then they would wait. It was impossible. Like golf for an eight or nine year old was basically impossible. <laughs> um, so I didn't really take to it when I got a bit stronger, and I, was, I think I was playing a lot of tennis at the time. Okay, um, it just became. I went out with a bunch of tennis buddies, and it was just. I just got hooked, and once I got hooked, you know. <laughs> well, that, the rest is that history. Was it. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Now, um, mate, very impressive. So that's the that's the picture of Matt Goggin, who you who you are, who you sort of come across, and you're still playing golf as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I played a little bit. Uh, obviously, COVID messed up a lot for a lot of players. Like I was kind of just getting reshuffled out of the Corn Ferry tour at that point. So there was like two years where you basically were either Monday qualifying or you couldn't actually get to Q school. So, right. And I'm 49 now, turning 50 next year. So I played a few tournaments in Australia at the start of the year and played okay and kind of got back into it after not playing much for like I played golf but not com- competitive golf for a couple of years and now. I'm going to play a lot in the summertime in Australia and get ready for, you know, hopefully the next chapter on the senior tour. Awesome. So you'll be playing our summer? Yep, yep. Oh, I'll ripper. I'll play, yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. be able to get out there and see you. Good stuff. Keep an eye out on telly. <laughs> Very exciting. Very exciting, mate. Okay, so now a bit of background to, to you and I. I got in touch with you back in December of 2020. It's a little bit into the COVID time there. Um, you were extremely kind enough to, to sort of give me uh, – you nearly gave me about an hour of your time, actually, when I I sent you an email from nowhere. Uh, actually, one of my followers had said, oh, listen, you know, I've heard this old story about Seven Mile. It's sort of been sitting and floating around over the years. Do you know anything about it, Steve? Because I, I sort of talk about a lot of upcoming course designs and construction yeah. and things that have been sitting around. And uh, and I was like, no, I you know I don't know a lot about Tassie. I've only ever been there once to play Barn Bugle, like a lot of I guess mainlanders. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
then looking into it, I was like, what the hell is this? This looks, this sounds quite intriguing. I dropped your line and then Matt Goggin replies and I'm thinking, what a strange coincidence. Another bloke by the name of Matt Goggin. <laughs> and, mate, and, and you, we ended up talking and you were in the States one night and you gave me a lot of your time, mate, so I really appreciated that. And that was actually on Australia Day. I couldn't think of a better day that we chatted. It was Australia Day here in 2021. And you were telling me uh, the background and, and, and so on. And, and it really blew my mind um, talking to you about it, what the sort of what was on the horizon for this sort of place and this project. And I, 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 I learned the more I learned, the more I talk to people about golf course projects and architects and so on, is learning how long things take. So, uh, yeah. you know, they, they do take a long time. So, Seven Mile Beach. It's not something you thought about during COVID when I'd spoken to you. It's been happening for a while. So can you tell us a bit about how Seven Mile was born and how it came to be? Yeah, so when we spoke, we just substantially commenced the development, which meant that the permit was valid forever. Like they couldn't take it off us. Right. And that had been quite a struggle because A, getting the permit, I, I went, I emailed Mike Clayton, I think in 2010, and we had talked about it earlier when he was um, doing Barnburgle Dunes. When, when that very early on he was showing me pictures, and I'm like, "Why are you doing a golf course up in Barnburgle? Like, there's a perfect <laughs> area right in Hobart. Like, somebody should do that. Just do it down there." And then he showed me a few pictures, and I'm like, "Oh, that looks pretty good." And uh, you know, the rest is history for that yeah. place. But it was around 2010. Um, I contacted. I'd, I'd had a. Um, a foundation at the time and we were looking to sort of have a facility if you like where we could use the fa- use the facility as sort of a training ground for for people that might not necessarily get the opportunities and if it was good enough it was like a barn Google dunes well then they could work anywhere in the world you know what i mean whether it yep. was in you know um turf grass management or whether it was in just you know in the retail or any parts you know in the the business of the golf course, any of that sort of stuff. So that was sort of the premise, if you like. And there was a golf course that was coming up for a new lease um, called Rosny, right, which was just a little nine-hole public golf course. And we had tried to get the lease and take it over. Um, as it turned out, there was a few other things going on there that we weren't aware of, was that the actual council was trying to close the golf course, so they're only right. offering a 10-year lease, and they, they gave it to someone who doesn't, like, didn't have an interest in progressing it as a golf course. It was sort of like the people that ran the pool across the street type thing. So um, sort of out of frustration, I kind of said to the other guy in the foundation, I was like, stuff it, we'll build our golf course at Seven Mile Beach. <laughs> and that's kind of like how it started. It was, but I'd, I kind of had been looking at it, trying to work out, well, why hadn't something been built there? It had been the sort of piece of land where, Forever. I mean, ever since I was a kid, there had been talked of some big Japanese development, some big, right. you know, people from Melbourne were going to do this and that, and nothing ever happened. So I kind of went with the through the process of, well, why didn't it happen? Like, there's got to be a really good reason because it's 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 a weird place in that you've got the airport, right, and you've got Seven Mile Beach, which is the little township next to Royal Hobart. I mean, it's a beautiful beach that goes that's ten kilometres long, that is twenty minutes out of the city, and no, there's no Nobody lives there, and right. the the big area where the golf course is, it's just nothing, and it's not. There's no sort of. I mean, there's some sand mine going on there, but there really is just it's just abandoned, and it's right in the main growth corridor, corridor, and it just didn't make any sense. So I thought well, there must have been some key reason, you know. So I looked at 
whether it was Aboriginal heritage or coastal inundation or, you know, flora and fauna, there must be something down there that's, that's um, protected and nothing. It was an unmanaged um, area. It was not managed by parks, but basically un, unmanaged as far as any sort of intensive land management. There was a there was pines on it that were all from um, a pine plantation on the area right next door, basically what we call Five Mile Beach, but where okay. the sand mine is. That whole because it's nine hundred hectares, a piece of land. Like it's not small. Wow. There's a massive piece of wow. land. Wow. Yeah. So there's about you know three hundred hectares outside of the mining lease. Um, half of that was pine plantations that right. had lost their cutting rights, and uh. now are just being left to grow back, and there's nothing going on. So once I realised there wasn't a good reason, that's when I approached Clates because I was wandering around there and. They're going, wow, this is amazing. You know, this could be an amazing golf course. And, and I'd known it since I was a kid that there were sand dunes and it was all very spectacular. Yep. But it's like when you drive along the side of the road and you look at it and like, wow, wouldn't that be an amazing hole yes. down there? And you get, you, yeah. you get out your bush and all that. It's like, you know, what's 600? Like if you can't even hit the feature you're trying to hit because it's so far away. It's like, oh, okay, my idea of what is good or what distance is, is just completely, you know, um, beyond, beyond the pale. So I, I took it from, I, I went with the perspective that well, I don't really know what I'm looking at. I like, I have a general idea. So that's when I emailed Clates in 2010 and said, look, you come down and have a look. So he comes down and have a look. And that's when he made that sort of famous, I don't know whether you're infamous now um, when we're driving out. And he said, well, he said, if we screw it up, it'll still be the second best golf course in Australia. <laughs> so, um, so a good piece of land in his world. Like the, the piece of what, what property. So that sort of gave me the confidence to be like, okay, um, I contacted the governments on Crown Land. I'm like, look, and to be honest, without Barnaby with Dunes, this wouldn't have happened because the government was aware of just how successful and how many jobs and the economic activity and the tourism numbers Boogle could drive. So, to have another piece of land in the south where it's like we think it's equal we can do something as good as barn Google dunes that sort of got them at least got my foot at least in the door and being having a relatively high profile through golf that helped as well and that's when it started so that started a four-year process of actually getting permits and then once we got the permits it was in funding it because some of the investors after four years of waiting for the permits had sure. gone on to do other things you know and, that, and that's sort of like what happens with these developments is they they um they sort of dwindle on the vine because of all the delays yeah. and all the, like, like capital's got to go. Like when someone wants to invest, they're not looking to invest in four years' time. They're yeah. looking to invest now. <laughs> no, that's why time. they're there, right? Right. And, that, and, that's, and, that's why, and, and that's why a lot of these local governments and state governments, they just don't understand the velocity of money these days and how money doesn't, money just wants to make a return. Yep. So when you're dealing with this sort of development, you need the people to have the passion and get it. But if you're trying to actually raise some money, you need more than that. Yeah, wow, and that that that's that's long, right? This is the this is the thing you talked about money and and people wanting they've got the money they want to invest now. That's that's they want to get in. Yeah. They don't want to sit around and go. Well, look, we'll stop and think about it. We'll park our cash over there and we'll sit, do nothing with it. That no, they're looking for that return as fast as possible, um, in a sense. Yeah. And and ten years before I'd spoken to you, that's that's the yeah. lead time that I want people to get their heads around. These things don't happen. Yeah, so four years. So four. That, so that was four years, and then we had there was some housing involved that was kind of a bit of a carrot to get investors in, um, so that my foundation could run the golf resort. Basically, right. that was the idea. Um, 
but we didn't get the rezoning, but we got the permit for the golf course. So I'm like, well, this is a great win. Like, this is all we wanted. Yeah. Because there was a bunch of people who just wanted to do like a Barn Bugle resort. But I think some of those people had fallen in love with like the idea of housing and making serious money. Yep. And once that went away, they're like, oh, okay, we tried. Bad luck, guys. I'm like, what do you mean, bad luck? <laughs> like, we, we got it. We, we're doing it. This is amazing. Um, and I was playing heavily at the time. You know, it was, it was 2014. So I'm right in the middle of my you know, career um, and not living in Australia. And so we kind of kicked the tires around with a few people trying to bring some other people in, but it wasn't really my focus because we always had this, you had four years till you had to start. So I was just yep. to, to get substantial commencement. So it wasn't like, I wasn't pushing it. But then when we got to the point where it looked like we might lose the, the permit, that's when I um, sort of talked to a few friends and were like, well, we need to do this like this. We can't, we can't not start this project. Let's just get it started and see what happens. And that was sort of when I spoke to you. Yep. We just spent 12 months um, getting everything ready for the permit. Because not just when you get the permit, it's just satisfying all the conditions, yeah. and getting all the engineering done, and getting a start works permit and getting consent. None of this stuff was happening during COVID quickly. Um, you, you think that when you get a permit, it's like, great, let's go. It's like, oh, no, no, you've got to meet these 15 conditions. Yeah. Once you meet these 15 conditions, and some of them might be like one of them was to get a bird strike report um, from a particular accredited person who very few people in Australia have the accreditation, but it was under like the um, the Federal Aviation Act. Someone had just plucked this out and like – and. <laughs> The funny thing was, was, like, so that took, so someone had to find the person, they had to come down, they got to write, write the report. Yeah, so you might yeah. not get the report for three months. Yeah. Um, and that, you can't do anything until that yeah. gets signed off on. You it, get it, it, it gets put in a drawer. <laughs> the person who got it said, we've never had, I've never seen one of these before and there's no development in Clarence that's ever had to have one before. What? And you just think, well, why am I doing it? Do you know what I mean? That's the like three months that delays but. They're the sort of things that happen and they're, they're sort of the hurdles that you have to step over that make investing in these sorts of things incredibly difficult and drawn out. Yeah, I mean, I, I thinking about that, I was thinking about the course that I was working at and we were doing work at Katoomba, west of Sydney, and similar thing, to, to start the, the rebuilding of some of the holes there that was into uh, virgin bushland, if you like, where they had to, in lieu of a resort that was wanting to be built and so on, yeah, w they had to get a, a flora and fauna report and count how many gang-gang cockatoos were on the property yeah. and all this sort of stuff before the next hurdle can be looked at and then jumped over with yeah. some sort of report and then the next one and you talk about Aboriginal heritage and you talk about all, all these things mm -hmm. have to be done. A lot of people... Go oh the you know seven mile starters or any project they they now require so many stops and starts before you can actually yeah. do anything that people can see tangibly on the ground. Yeah, and, and once you get and that's the sort of things you're talking about are the that's to get your development application and to get your permit through. Yeah, council. right. It's like yep. okay, your development application here's broad strokes what we're going to do. It's going to be eighteen holes. We're going to have this yep. here, that here, whatever. And then you get to the nitty gritty where each part needs its own building permit. So you need a specific yeah, right. building permit. So that triggers some other things. But because it's crown land and it's in Clarence and it's managed by parks, <laughs> you have to get sign off from Clarence, parks and um, and crown land. Wow. And none of those, like they don't, like it's not seamless working with any of them. Like there's so many times, I mean, I joke with, um, I joke with some of my friends that, 
the, the quickest response I get from emails in Tasmania or the most reliable response is out of the office on leave, <laughs> out of the office. <laughs> only work Tuesday. Oh, stop it. And it's just like, kids are like, oh, great, they respond. It's like, oh, no, it's out of office reply. That would drive anyway, you mad. Yeah. You'd be chasing oh, it's, this it's stuff. It's part of it. It's just part of it. And, um, yeah, but you have to get, even getting your DA approved like you then have to get a start works permit so you can't do anything so that's when the crown that's when the council might put some conditions on so there's a lot of generic gotta get your engineering done yeah you know what time you, you know you can't put a sign up you can only operate between these hours yeah, yeah, yeah. wash down all your machinery coming onto the site all that sort of stuff so it's all very generic and the, but the, the the bird strike report was just like an extra one in there um so you do that so you get a start works permit from council now you have to get a start works permit from the government oh man right and that and that's and i mean we had we had some of them take six months to get a to get it through and it, it, it's almost like a it's they anything you want to do on your project they have a veto over it even though you've got it approved <laughs> they can just be like no you can't start oh. you're like what do you mean it's like no we're not we're not you we you know so yeah so it's 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 a very um, wow. Yeah, so getting substantial—that's why getting substantial commencement during COVID. Yeah, right. Um, coming up against that deadline, all these things where because the difficult thing during COVID was it um, was just getting replies or getting thing work yeah, done. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. For that first, like basically, every, I mean, everything was shut down, yeah. and we all know what it was like. But that just meant that there was so much backlog for these people that even when they came into work, justifiably, they would, might be have six months worth of stuff to yeah, go through to, and to, you're, yeah. you've just sent your email and you, but you've got, they've got emails from six months ago to, to catch yeah, up on sure. or whatever that sort of stuff was. So it was a hard time, did, but did, then we got it and that's when I spoke to you on Australia Day and yeah. it was like, it's happening, we've started. <laughs> yeah, because you, you, were, you were apprehensive in a way to, to talk much about it actually happening because you still didn't know whether it was going to happen, really. Yeah, well, I, I think at the time we were, we were just trying to validate the permit and then see if we could raise some money or however, because it was just it was just me and another guy, and you know you're always apprehensive about um, putting a ton of money into these sorts of things anyway. But then we just decided to just we'll just keep going and we'll do it kind of in the spirit of Barn Google Tunes. We're not going to go down there and you know have twenty million bucks and just put the fanciest irrigation system yeah. in and you know, yep. and all that sort of stuff. We're going to try and do it um, budget conscious without. Um, jeopardizing the the main idea yep. you know what i mean and yep. devries um and like and clates have been great as far as that goes because when i when i talk to mike mike devries he says look i've worked i've done plenty of projects where we get there and the budget's 100 grand or 200 grand we just have to do we just make it work whether yeah. it's you know and it, it and that sort of spirit has been the way we've looked at it the whole whole way through it's not like you know, you see a lot of these courses with these budgets of twenty, thirty million dollars to build one golf course. I'm like, we're going to build the whole development for that. So yeah, it's right. Like the whole thing easily, <laughs> um, not just one course. That'll be two courses and all the infrastructure and and that that's and yeah, that's massive. Everything. Like you said, if you you bundle it up to begin with and you say, look, we yeah, twenty like you said, twenty, thirty million straight, you probably go through it pretty quickly too, if that's the way you're going to go yeah. about it. I'm sure exactly. Yeah, so. We're, and so we've just sort of been going, you know, month to month and all of a sudden, what are we, two and a half years in? 
and we're pretty much at the finish line on course one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been incredible to watch. One of the things that that I was going to ask you there was, you know, talking about getting investors and and getting the money and and to get things going. And, and that it had changed the, the idea from the housing where you're going to get – people would have obviously made some really good money out of it, no doubt. Um, was yeah. that a harder thing to do then? Once that had dropped away in the project and it was it was just the essence of golf down here, this is what we're doing, this is the goal, right, originally. Did you find it difficult then? You said it's just you and, and one other. I don't know if there's anything's changed since then. But was that harder then to sell in a sense, to get investors? Is it – yeah, well, we didn't even try in the end because it just seemed impossible. Right, okay. So, we, yeah, so you got yeah. to do it yourself. You're putting your money where yeah, your mouth like is. We, exactly, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't um, – yeah, we didn't get any – like, I talked to a lot of people. Um, and, I mean, I wasn't out there, like, really pushing and selling it and stuff like that. Like, I would just talk to people who might contact us or, you know, someone heard, oh, we heard you doing that, we'd like to talk to you. But it's always a lot of talk, and when it comes yeah. to the dotted line – you and you know and you waste months like you do like it's kind of part of the game really you talk to someone for six months and they you do visits and blah 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 and then you can't get them to sign on so then you move on to the next person and it's amazing how quickly two or three years go by yeah right and and you're getting to that point where you're like well this is just not like we're not moving we yep. need to do something yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. just, just grab and the now, reins and yeah, go yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay, so moving on from that, the initial stage, I'm curious then, how did you come to choose Clayton DeVries Pont, CDP, and you mentioned Clayton was in early. Uh, is that where that came from, or how did you, you said you called Clayton in 2010. What was, where did that come from? Yeah, I'd known Clayton a long time since I was first term pro. Actually, okay. when he was, um, he was a good amateur when my mum was an amateur. Right. He knew my grandfather, um, my grandfather and his sort of, his best buddy down at Royal Hobart used to travel around and watch Aussie tour events. Okay. Um, they would they would come and stay. He, he would they sponsored a few. They would come and stay at my grandfather's house um, yeah, right. when the Tassie Open was on. Um, this is all before I was born. But so um, when my grandfather died, actually, um, suddenly it was really it was the first week I was playing a tournament in Australia, and I didn't know Clates Clay, was like a really good. You know, Clates was Michael Clayton, you know, yeah. a good yeah, player. Yeah. He won on the European tour. He was like one of the guys that, you know, was a mainstay on the Australian tour. And he kind of came up to me and said that, you know, sorry to hear about your grandfather. He was a great man. You know, any if you need anything, blah, blah, blah. Now, I didn't know him at all, but like but that really um, meant a lot to me at the time um, because, you know, my grandfather introduced me to golf. He was obsessed with my golf. And the fact that he wasn't going to get to see me play as a pro was like a big was a big deal to me and um and to Clates it was probably just a throwaway line but the fact he like that you know I'm, I'm a very loyal person and I've always been very loyal to Clates and a lot of it comes down to that and not I mean he's a great guy and he's like obviously a very astute and his opinions mm. and he's Incredible, very well read on the game and he brings a lot but like it was really the personal relationship yeah that had me call him in um and I knew he'd done Barn Google June so I was familiar with it um, and you would be familiar with the process. So, yeah, that's how that happened. And and then it became – so it was Mike Clayton Golf was the first email. Right. And about the next lot of emails, it was Mike at OC Ogilvy. <laughs> OC, um, oh, yeah, Ogilvy Clayton, Clayton. Golf. yep. And then the next email address was at um, OCCM. OCM, I think. There was one C and then there were two no, Cs. No, it was Ogilvy Clayton oh. Cocking and Mead. Oh, okay, right. righto. And then when Plates got the boot, it just—I never—I never got an email from him from 
OCM. Oh, okay, OCM. of course. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, I, so really Clates had been the, um, the main um, part of it, the, yep. on the main journey. And I, and I, I didn't feel right because I didn't really know. I didn't know at the time. I actually was calling Clates about something to do with the um, with Seven Mile Beach. I didn't know he had left. You know, and he's like, oh, uh, it's a bit awkward. Uh, um, I'm not there anymore. Like, because right. you know, I was dealing with Ash and um, Mike Cocking yep. and Clates, but I didn't realize, you know, uh, I, was, I was talking talking to Clates about something and that, that made me feel uncomfortable because no, A, no one had told me and B, um, it was Clates, I, I wanted Clates to be there on opening day. Like, sure. it, he'd been there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. So that, so when he said, well, we've got a new partnership with, um, with Mike um, DeVries and Frank Pont, I didn't had didn't really know Frank at all because I hadn't done any um, seen any of his restoration or the stuff he'd done in Europe. But I was, you know, aware of DeVries through Kate Wickham, and it obviously played there. And I thought that place was amazing. And um, and, and the other big draw was that DeVries built. Yeah, he's there. Like he's still in the. Yeah, he's been on site for eighteen months. Like it's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. like, uh... like the the quality of work they do, like. You're always, it's always a bit of a leap of faith, right? But it's it's stunning what they're doing. But you know, with Doak and with um, and with Crenshaw Core and with Gill, they're just they're almost so big and so busy, or they've moved into that part of their business cycle where it's just like they have all their associates and they trust them. They do an amazing job. Yeah. So you might not necessarily get Doak on site. You're definitely yep. not getting him there for 300 days yeah. out of the year. <laughs> That's well, right. Do you know what I mean? And like and now, I've got this opportunity. And DeVries is obviously like he knows he might not get another chance to build on this sort of a site. So it's kind of sim, you know, it works well for both for both sides because he can be like, well, this could be this could be it. This could be like one yeah. of the best golf courses I ever get to build. And um, I'm going to put and and Mike likes to put he likes to touch everything. Yeah, right. He doesn't okay. let anyone do anything yep. in a lot of respects. So yeah, so it's been that that's sort of how it happened. It was basically Clayton, and then there was. When it became CDP, um, it's like a bonus to me because like having DeVries on the on the journey as well has been awesome. Yeah, well, that's that's what I, I mean. Looking at that on paper and and thinking to myself, Clates, Barn Bugle, Tassie, you know, Wickham, DeVries, Tassie. And I'm thinking they yeah. combined. It's almost like a I don't mean it in a bad way when I say perfect storm, but it's a perfect ingredient blend of architects really and builders to have. On your side, it's like you've gone. Okay, I'll take, I'll cherry pick that from Junes, and I'll cherry pick that from Wickham, and I'm going to build Seven yeah. Mile. I mean, it's pretty impressive. It's interesting because they're very collaborative, and I think they sort of, you know, they're understanding that, you know, being a good player, I have certain viewpoints, and they're they're very um, generous with their time, you know, to listening to what I have to say. But <laughs> I, I pretty much am of the um, of the viewpoint that. You bring someone in who's an expert because you want them because of their expertise. You don't want to bring someone in as an expert so you can tell them how smart you are. You know what I mean? It's funny. So it's, it's funny you say that because that was going to be. I was going to ask you this very specifically because you're well travelled. Because you and there's a lot of pro golfers that ultimately get into trying that that architecture side of stuff. I mean, here in New South Wales, here where I am in the beaches, um, Craig Parry's doing a lot of work. Um, in, yeah. in remodeling courses around here locally. I know Paul Gower's done a little bit of work in Western Sydney uh, on a smaller scale. Then you've got the big scale stuff where you, you get your, your, you know, your Tiger Woods is getting into it and that sort of thing. So I wasn't sure where you were going to fit into that, whether you were going to 
to be part of that. Pro- yeah. Or like you said, you've got the no, experts on. My, my, my interest is in getting the right people into the right role and allowing them to flourish and do great things. Like my role is I'm not a golf course architect. I haven't spent my whole life studying golf courses. I haven't spent my whole life sitting on a dozer knowing what it feels like to shape a hole or shape a green or, or to bring something back. It's like, oh, remember when we built the six hole here and we did that, yep. did that. I'd like to do a little bit slightly different version of that. I mean, I've just sort of like played golf and yeah, I've played all the good golf courses and I have a reasonably decent good eye for, for architecture, but I don't understand anything it is, A, to be a golf course architect or B, to be any good at it, let alone be world-class, let alone having, having a say in what could be one of the last great sites in the world and to be like oh no i think it should be this like that's that's madness to me <laughs> yeah are you trying to say that there's no ego involved in being a golf course builder and owner here matt is that where this is? you're doing it the way that most people who run good business would say i employ the experts let the experts do their thing that's that's the yeah that's the way i see it the interesting thing is the way i the role i see myself is i just like to because sometimes you you know that if you're on the site all the time and you're working on something, there's that whole forest with the trees things. So I like to, so when you're in it and you're in the trenches, sometimes you can only see the trench. Yeah. So I like to just ask really broad questions or just start conversations um, and all that sort of stuff and then just see what happens and get yep. them thinking about it. Yeah. I, I don't, so I, so I try to influence that way. I don't come in with very strong opinions on, so when DeVries, like I, when DeVries did the ninth green, it, a lot of the time, like he'll build it and I'll look at it. I'm just like, how on earth did that even come out of your, <laughs> your mind? You know what I mean? It's like, cause I can wonder and go like, yeah, tea here. Yeah, perfect. That might, yeah, green up there. That's yeah. amazing green up there. But everything that goes into making that playable, yep. interesting, engaging, and then actually where's the irrigation go? Like all, all the, you know, all the types of things where the heads go, the wind and what, what you know, we, the most efficient way and like and all those sorts of things. Well, so he's building it and he's he's the architect and the engineer. Yep. Um, my grandfather was a civil engineer, was an engineer, and he would always say that architects spend their whole time building things, designing things that engineers have to come in and fix. fix. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, when you're building a golf course, you can't just say, you know, you see, you can't just build those golf courses like those old paintings where it's just like Niagara Falls. I mean, do you remember those old, you're probably too. You're probably too young. But there used to be an artist who would draw these crazy golf courses. Oh, a bit Niagara Falls. Yeah, I've just literally just bought an old one from an old bookshop that I remember as a kid. They're on these rock outcrops in the Arizona yeah, things, exactly. and I'm like, yeah. and, and that was one of my things. I was like, are we in a world now where we can do that with the wicked? It seems like we're always trying to be on the rock edge of the world somewhere. But anyway, yeah, go but on. That, that's the point. Like, that's an architect. That's not an engineer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Engineer's going to go. Well, how do I get irrigation there? How do I get drainage? Yep. Where's the sun? Where's the wind? Yep. Where's a, where, where's a, someone who can only carry 100 yards? Where's someone who's going to, you know? Like, yeah. Mate, <laughs> so, a, as um, a super, I spent my time fixing those things on the golf course, and I'm yeah. sitting there going, why? Why did, you know, whoever it was put that there that, or make it in that shape? How am I meant to cut that? How am I meant to look after it with water? How am I, but that's what DeVries is yeah. saying. That's what he's doing while he's out there. 
Yeah, 100%. And that's where, well, Clates, I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, people are like, well, what does Clates do? You know what I mean? He doesn't, they, I mean, they call him pockets because he always wanders around with his hands in his pockets because he's like <laughs> looking around doing things. And and the other the other thing is say they wouldn't know, you wouldn't know how to run a rake. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but the interesting thing is watching them work together, it is really interesting is, is that when Clates is there, he does the whole forest for the trees, out yep. of the trench stuff, where he'll be looking around He'd be wandering around the site and there's been major changes made just because Mike's debris is fixated on, okay, we're here, we're building this, and he's got a million things going on. He's not thinking about, well, geez, if that T, if we move the T up here, how much better is this hole? Or if we switch the green over there. So a lot of those sort of things that you can you can change while you're, because it's sand and you can yeah. literally make things and get rid of them in a day. Has been like all the T's on two, a lot of the um, the eight, the two greens on eight, the the left T on eight, and just how that all flows. Um, the fourth hole. There's been so many things that have happened because of Clates's just having the overall big picture. Yep. Um, while Devries is like, I mean, he's he's got a full plate. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. work really well together, and that, and and Devries is very um, collaborative. He's if we want to do anything. Or if he if he has any ideas, he always asks us, even though he has no intention of taking any of us what any of us any of us say on board. It's a polite way of letting you know he's gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah, okay. Well that that's really good. That's a good insight into to how that world works while the golf course is evolving. Because that's in a sense what happens when golf courses get built. A lot of people don't also don't realise that it's not just a plan on paper and you go out and build it because that doesn't always work to get, bring out the best of a golf site. So this is very much an evolution, and you're you're part of that. You're, you're seeing it unfold, and you're seeing how those cogs in CDP are working together, which is really fascinating. Yeah, I can give you a really good example, actually. So, the eighth hole actually has two good examples. The first one was, um, so it ends up with two greens, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, "Well, why do you have two greens?" I got that well, question, but yeah, <laughs> the green when we were there was four hundred massive wood piles that we had to burn from yep. the forestry residue. It took us, you know, we could only burn at night on a certain wind. Um, we had to put the fires out in the morning because we we're so close to the airport. So it took forever. So when DeVries is down there, he's trying to work around these burn piles. So we're building the eighth hole and he starts and they're clearing that up. And then they do a burn one night and then Clates is down there. And then they, and Clates is like, well, this green site, have a look at this. There's this perfect green site off to the right. And we'd already sort of decided it was going to be over here. But you couldn't see it because there was two great big huge piles of it just ah. looked like a big car you know cavern over there yeah but it turned out like it was actually the burn pile was sitting on top of this like perfect green side it wasn't down right. to the ground and um so then because it's so early on we're just like well we'll build both that's basically my thing well, let's just build both we'll see which one everyone <laughs> see which play. one you like yeah and it becomes a little bit of i mean is it a bit gimmicky yeah but it's a public golf course and you're trying to engage people, and you're trying to have something a little bit interesting and fun. It's not that unusual, to be honest. It's and the the green site was so um, so perfect, and and there aren't too many like it. Sort of shelf green that sits in sort of a natural amphitheater in Australia. So it's going to be okay. an interesting green site for Australians because we don't play those, we don't see those sorts of yeah. holes. Yeah. But the Vries's point was, well, now we have eight and nine going basically exactly the same direction, exactly the same distance. That's why he wanted that 
that green pushed further up because uh, it made okay. nine a bit shorter. Yep. And all that sort of stuff. So then, so that's all solved. Okay, we're now going to have, if you play to the right green, you play the back tee on nine. If you play to the left green, you play the front tee. Now you have sort of different configuration almost. Yeah. Yep. So DeVries had been building the the ninth, um, the eighth green, the, the long left eighth green. And it was it was a tough shot. And it was obscured by this little June. And Clayton and I loving it. Like, this is great. You know, this is awesome. <laughs> um, and then uh, and Clayton's is standing off to the side. I'm standing. He's like, and he sort of says, he's like, wow, how good would it be to play the ninth from here? Right? And it was like, it was basically, instead of going off the back of the eighth green, it was going 30 completely off to the left. And now nine becomes like a little dog, dog leg. leg. It's more just for the for the, um, the good players or the long players because you can't really see the fairway. It's almost like blind. You can right. see patches of green yep. hitting across Marum. Um, and DeVries is like, yeah, that just doesn't tie in because one of DeVries' biggest things is it's not just having a collection of great holes. It's a collection of great holes that work together and the transitions work together. You don't have people feeling like they're billy goading up a hill every time yeah. to get a great view <laughs> and an elevated tee shot. It's really important. So if you might sacrifice something you love to get a great transition to something else that's equally as good but and, and, and let go of something you love, and he's like, well, there's no good transition over there. So then the next day comes along and we're walking at the green and we're talking about how good it is because it's going to be so hard <laughs> and how you can't quite see the right side. And, you know, DeVries is just sort of sitting there nodding his head and smiling. <laughs> and then we get a call. We go down and have some lunch. And then DeVries is like, you need to come back. We need um, – I've completely changed the eighth green. <laughs> <laughs> so in two hours, he blew up his whole concept. Wow. Built a whole other green. And he's like, and this is perfect because now it ties into that sea plate he was talking about. Okay, right. So he moved the green, switched it, made it go left, smashed out the little dune where the tee's going to be. And like, what do you think? And we're just like, amazing. I did like, that. And a- that just shows, that, that, that's infield design, right? Yeah, yeah. That's just people want maps and they want you know detailed grading plans and they want to know how many cubic yeah. meters or yards of i mean i think when you're trying to do something really special that's just got to go and that inspiration like that's something that when it comes to playing these little stories that are part of that process when you're going to know it the story will be heard from here and, and likewise into the future when you're out there playing that it it was spawned in that moment that that come out of of that conversation that 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 little it wouldn't have been there otherwise that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it, and, it, and it happened because we were thought thought how good it was because it was going to be so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and also is like, hang on, we have we have two pro golfers. <laughs> and Let's bring everyone yeah, down a notch. Because his whole philosophy is like he really wants to test us, but a bogey golfer can wander around and you know play to his handicap and think that wasn't too bad. Well not but if you're a really good player, you know, you have to really play. You don't want to have you you don't want to feel like you've you've had your head beat in afterwards if you're right. a higher handicapper. Yeah, you absolutely. want to go and enjoy it still, but then you, like you said and that's a hard balance to get right. And only the best in the world do that very well. Yeah, and I think it's after watching the process you start to understand it's like it's really about having like difficult greens but with safe play spaces around them you know you don't have a difficult green and then have a brutal hazard yep you know a brutal bunker do you know what i mean like the 10th at riviera or the 6th at royal melbourne or what we don't play the six anymore but it used to be you know the dog leg right yeah it's like um up the hill on the composite 
like you don't want to have a green like that and then have every chip impossible to keep it on the green. Yeah. But you do want to have greens where it's just like, man, if you're going to hit it closer, you've got to hit a very precise shot. If you get it wrong, you know, it's going to be an easy five. Yeah. It's going to be a tough four. And so for a bogey golfer, they can pull out the putter or whatever. If they're smart, and they just dink it up there and they, they make their five and, and, and on they go. But for uh, the A-grade players or the professional golfers, well, you know, it's tough for the score. On it. And that, that's like, you see that sort of theme all the way through, and you start to understand how, how it makes keeps engaging for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really like I said. This is all interesting stuff. I like to try and make sure people can they're educating and learning as we go along. This is great, mate. Great stuff. Um, a, a little bit about Seven Mile itself, and we touched on it. Um, it's a magnificent site. It's a unique location. It is right near the airport there in Hobart, not far yeah. away, and it's this little finger peninsula, whatever you want to call it, of sand that just juts out sort of east, I think. Is that right? I've, I've looked at Google Earth enough to try yeah. and get a feel for it. That's all I've it's got. Like I dolphin. haven't been there. It's almost like a dolphin nose. Yeah. So tell us, I suppose, in, in your words, and, and you know it pretty well or very well, what sort of – what makes the site special for golf that outsiders, people like me that have never physically seen it, we're, we're, we're sort of, we're hearing these things, we're seeing these things um, in photos. What makes it such a special site? Is it, it's not on the cliffs, right? It's sand. No, it's on the sand. It's, it was the pine plantation next door. So you had this massive, um, basically sand dunes, free to move around, blow around. Um, Marin was introduced, which started trapping the, the foreshore, if you like, or, right. or the beach side. And that started to create irregular dune shapes, very okay. choppy dune shapes on the on the beach side. And as you thought to get into the area where there's no pine trees, but as the pine trees started to propagate, all of a sudden all the movement, the natural movement and the smoothing off of the topography just didn't happen. So now you've got the pine trees trapping a lot and the pine needles and making these just insane landforms. <laughs> so there's, there's no area where it's just sort of smooth and flat okay. and kind of traditional lynx-like. It's okay. very much like the clifftop dunes or the, the stuff in Ireland, but you're not on the cliffs, you know what I mean? So, right. So you have these crazy undulations. And sort of and, and imagine from um, the building side of things, it's like it doesn't matter what you build because even if it's the most ridiculous thing, it's going to look like it was there anyway even if you built it. Yeah, so you okay. kind of have a little bit more freedom of expression to be – a lot of it is softening. It's like, how do we take this down? How do we not make it too extreme? How do we take an area where there is, it appears like the fourth hole is a good example, where you didn't think you could play golf high on that side of the dune. You basically have three levels. You have the very top, which is about 20 metres. Then you have this midsection, which is in, you know, about the 11 metre range. And then you have the beach side, which is down at beach level. So it's, so it's, all, so it's all pitched at the, wow. so that's why every hole you can see the water because it's just pitched at the water. Ah, um, but that okay. top side was really extreme, really extreme. And you're going to go down there and see it and just think it, this is what it was like. And they spent months just getting rid of those areas where you didn't. Wow. There's been a lot of – like DeVries will tell you he's moved more dirt on this property than anywhere, anywhere any, any project he's ever done. But it's just on those few holes. And then you'll have holes where you do nothing, like 14, which is this insane par three where he built the green in 20 minutes and it's just like holes done. <laughs> Like that was the first hole he built, and I was thinking, "Well, we'll be playing at the end of 23. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then a month later, it's like, "Yeah, we've managed to just smash down some of the fourth, 
<laughs> you built one hole in 25 minutes and that thing we barely had any progress on another hole so that's just the nature of the site but i think that's what makes it unique it was the pine plantation next door that just created this crazy landform right next to it it's uh, i'm going to bring this up now because i was going to bring up the fourth um later and and i correct me if i'm wrong i don't think we've seen any images of four yet on on socials and, no. and may well be for good no. reason um i i remember and i i've been picking in into... about five kilometers of pipeline down the middle of it straightened out getting ready to go the oh okay yeah right well <laughs> I, I i remember early on you put a couple of topographical snippets from the the the, the concept sketch or concept layout on your socials and yeah and i went back through there just before the interview to have a go and have a look because i really liked the, the the lay of the land that you were working with there it was yeah. pretty impressive and four and there were only small bits and I, I know myself and Stuart Appleby were digging into you to try and get more we wanted more topographical maps so we, <laughs> we could see some more <laughs> of the stuff but four looks really impressive there's a there's a part there where it says I think twenty meters up from yeah. from sea level obviously the height of the sand dunes that 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 sort of northern length if you like, that runs east-west of yep. that ridge. And then before it just drops off the back, right, I think is how I've seen from Correct. some images. Yep. And, and you can yep. tell I've been studying and looking at just single photographs to try and get this landscape. Um, it's really, and I could use an expletive there, really high. 20 metres yeah. is a long it way is. up. So that, yep. that hole looks like a roller coaster. And I think it was an old photo that you also had there where you and Clates were right down low in the pine trees early on. And I was like, is that is that a punch bowl area? Is that what we're, we're going to play yeah. up and down? And, and maybe you don't want to talk about it too much yet and give anything away. But No, actually, that, that, that <coughs> is the – so originally there was this massive punch bowl in there, and it was insane um, because without the trees cleared, when we walked the area right along the ridge, it felt too extreme and there was too much area. You just went up and then you went straight down. You went up and you went straight down. Like right. You can't play golf. And you're kind of walking on the side. Of the field. <laughs> There's no way you can play golf here. Um, so we're trying to cut back. And that's when the trees got cleared and clates and they looked out. It's like, well, why would we go down there? Well, we can go left. Now five, instead of being a par three or a drive okay. to par four, which would be almost the same hole as ten. Why don't we then five becomes a, a big hole, not a big hole, but like a you know 400 meter hole or a 390 meter hole instead of a 260 meter hole. Right. So four, the fourth <clears throat> green, so that punch bowl green that you're seeing, um, we don't use that at all. And and, and it, the funny thing is, it's like when the trees are cleared off and you go and stand there, you're like, this is so ridiculous. The fact that we thought <laughs> this is going to be a green, you got to try and pull so it off. Outrageous. Because I mean, yeah, anyway, like you. You would never get any sun. Like yeah. Ever. It's like a black hole. Nice. But anyway, so the green then got pushed up to the left. So the fourth hole now runs on that top, tippy toes across the top of that ridge where it drops straight off at the left. Right. And three does the same thing. So it, it is interesting in that the you go from, you know, zero meters of the beach, you quickly go, you know, up to about four, and then you then you have a little middle section where they said it goes to eleven, it goes all the way up to twenty. And it goes straight down to two, pretty much straight down on wow. three and four. So, yeah, and that's where five mile will be in that area below it. Right. So you'll really be up there looking down on the five mile golf course. Wow. Um, but, yeah, the highest point in the golf course is the fourth tee, and you have a 360-degree view of 
um, of everything. So it'll be a nice place to work up to yeah. in the first few holes. You get a, you'll just get a sense of scale when you get up there. Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing people don't uh, have a good um, idea of is the scale, the scale and how much land is down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, and that's we can only ever really get that to when you're on site. Uh, I'm, you know, that's part yeah. of the draw, I guess. Really, uh, yeah. and that's one of the things I was. I think I spoke with you. I was hoping to get there last year, and we had what we had with our young fella. So it's um, it meant that I couldn't go anywhere. But the photos are enough for the moment until you're open. <laughs> so, mate, you're a, you're a passionate Tasmanian, as I mentioned before. One of the things that that I've seen. Um, it looks like for me from the outside, you're taking a bit of a conscious path to give young people, young local people employment opportunities. Is that something that's important to you? Yeah, that's no, like the most important thing is to try and get as many, um, it's just such a good opportunity. And like it is hard to convince people because it's not easy work building a golf course. You're out in the elements, you're exposed. It's not just, you know, getting in the cab of a greens mower or whatever and and cruising around and then going back for your break but um yeah it's really important i think because if it's if it's what i want it to be then to say you worked at like so we have a a, a young girl coming over who worked at Taraiti for a while you know okay. she, she might have had a visa down there i think she's irish now she's coming over to um to work at seven mile beach now the fact that she worked at Taraiti, like oh great she's, she's gonna know, like she's gonna yeah. be awesome yeah right and that's what I want people to think of the kids that started at Seven Mile Beach. So if someone wants to go and work at Royal Melbourne or if they want to go and get a job in Sydney, they're like, oh, you worked at Seven Mile Beach? Yeah, yep. no worries. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? And so they're the sort of, I'm very conscious of the opportunities that we have in that if we're very successful, that what that can do for the, for the, local, for yeah. the locals you know, who are employed there. No, mate. It's um, it's a it's a great thing to be. I think that's that's a very it's a very noble thing to be able to offer as well. Uh, certainly in in Tassie, like I said, I don't know the the Tasmanian uh, much about Tassie, um, but it's good. I suppose you are probably a little bit isolated from the major cities in general, not being part of the mainland. Yeah. So especially Hobart, all the way down the south end of the of the island. Um, I suppose yeah. So no, I, I think it's great. Young people. I do what I do trying to, to, to um, I suppose, highlight the benefits of, of working outdoors, being a greenkeeper. I talk mm. about that a lot. I've had people get in touch with me to change career path after listening to my podcast yep. that have become greenkeepers and love what they do. Uh, and I think yep. I got a lot out of it, so I try and, and convey that to others. And I think it's, it's great to – certainly there's plenty of young people out there uh, that don't really know. I was one of those. Didn't know what I wanted to do, and 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 yeah. I got to start in a golf course. So I got a lot out of it, and I try and convey that to others. I think it's brilliant, mate. So well done. Um, one of the other things that, that I see from the outside again is, along with the idea and the core and the essence of everything, is great golf. That's that's what Seven Mile is going to be thought of and known for, no doubt. Once you're open, is is the path that looks like you're including the local environment and the local community at the center of this project. Like um, from what I've seen, how important is that at a place like Seven Mile Beach to have those two parts at the center of the decision-making process of the project to, to make sure that you're, you're ticking those boxes and you, you fit in with the local community as well? Yeah, I mean, it's at the core of, of it because it's public land. You know what I mean? Like we always get some criticism or some people say it's like why do you build it there why don't you go and build it somewhere else and it's like well because it's one of the few places in the world that exist that is this good 
You know what I mean? Like we're not building a golf course here because um, of any other reason than it's just the site is just brilliant. Right? <laughs> it is that good. So that's why we're doing it there. But it's on public land and I love walking around. Like one of my favourite memories is sitting on the back of the 18th at, um, at the old course at St Andrews. I'd grabbed a coffee and some fish and chips. I'd already played earlier in the day. But I was getting, you know, probably four or five o'clock, sun was about to go down because it's a Dunhill. It's like late in the year. And you're just sort of sitting there and just watching the golf come in and watching the people running around the town. The connection between the local community and the golf, it was like part of the fabric, it was part of everything that, that town is about, um, was, the, was the interaction between the local community and the golf course. So that is sort of something that has stuck with me. It's like, that's what I want for Seven Mile Beach. I don't want it just to be somewhere you come up and play golf. If you want to, like, we want to be able to, if you want to bring your float further down, because there is horse trails a lot further west, like five okay. or six kilometers west of us, and there's no access to get in there. There's no to where we are. So the day use area is four or five kilometers west of where we are. So people don't get down to where we are. And now we've cleared off all the pine trees, which were just in the shocking tree anyway, and they're terrible for the local environment and the flora and the fauna and everything like that. So we have the opportunity to revegetate with natural grasses have the area looking how it's supposed to, open it up for the public, open it up so that trail riders can get down there, have events down there. I'd love to see orienteering and triathlon and trail runs and yeah, wow. food trucks and everything, you know, so that the whole community gets to enjoy it. It's not just, you know, that. that's really important. And it's also important from a business case too, right? Like, yeah. you, know, you, you want to be a... Um, you want to be a community hero. You know what I mean? You don't want to be fighting with the community about everything all the time. You want them to feel good about it. If they feel good about it, they're going to come down and they're going to tell people about it and they're going to come and use your facilities. And if they use their facilities and they have a, have a coffee or have a beer or, God forbid, someone actually who doesn't play golf started and criticized <laughs> it, actually played it, thought, well, this is actually fun. You know, imagine if that happens. Jeez, that'd know? be a scary world, um, mate. Well, converts. Um, yeah. And then... Um, but that's kind of the, the broader, um, the goal, if you like. It's um, it's kind of, a, I suppose, a rebirthing of that part of of, of the area, that part of Hobart that, that you said you didn't yeah, have access I mean, that's to. That's what I call it. Like People say it's like a golf development. No, it's like it's a community regeneration project, really. It's, it's an area that should have had something done to it, and it's had nothing done to it. And the golf course, it just happens to be perfect for golf. If yeah. it wasn't perfect for golf, someone should be doing something else down there, right? And I'd be all for it and opening it up to the public. But it just happens to have 300 hectares of some of the most unimaginably unbelievable golf land, raw golf land, that's right next to a major airport. So It's kind of a little bit of a throwback to the, to the old days and the thought process of Lynx land. Which was yeah. uh, w- w- was useless for for farming and agriculture, so you couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. So that that's sort of how golf was born. That's how they used that land, and this is kind of in a way they weren't doing anything with it. No one was doing anything with it, but just happens no. to be perfect for golf. And so the local community, which the local <laughs> the, the closest community is Seven Mile Beach, which is on the other side of the airport, and it's only a small sort of beach community, and you know it's growing. I've had people who have lived there their whole lives, and they come down and. The, the really cool thing about the golf course is you can't see it until you get to the first tee. Ah, okay. You don't know it's there. And the first tee is sitting up on top of a 20-meter high dune, right? 
So you come in and it's obviously it's pine trees and rubbish. And you, in, if you had seen the photos that I've been posting, you'd be like, where is this place? Yeah. This doesn't exist. This is a myth. <laughs> and you get up on top of that hill and all of a sudden, all you can see for as far as the white you can see is these crazy sand dunes and the beach and the water. And you can basically see to Antarctica and the mountain. And the people that have lived there for, you know, their whole lives, 30, 40, 50 years, they come and they have a look and they said, I, I cannot believe this exists here. I've lived here my whole life and had no idea that this could be here. Wow. That's impressive. It's sounding more impressive yeah. all the time, and that's the idea. We're trying to build. We're trying yeah. to also build, build the uh, build the profile and get people's mouths watering at the thought of getting down there when this is open. Um, uh, where was I going next with this one? Tur- turf surfaces. Okay, the golf course is going to be finished. Um, you, you, you're yeah. just about finished com- construction. What are people going to be playing off? Because the, the the essence of of the feel of the golf course is going to be the turf surfaces. So, what's that going to look like? What have you got? It's all fescue, wall to wall fescue. Okay. And it was interesting because we had a lot of discussions around this, and this was sort of something that I needed a bit of convincing on because. Um, Anthony Toogood, who um, is our greenkeeper, and he was at um, Barn Boogle, but yep. he was up at uh, Albury for a long time, and he's worked under pretty much the three or four greatest, um, like John Sloan and people like that. Like he worked at Honeydale and, and Barwon Heads, and um, what else was he? Yeah, he, he could tell you. Have him on. He can tell you his life story. <laughs> yes, he's, he's on <laughs> my anyway, list. He was like, I'm like <clears throat> well, he's like, it doesn't matter. But we can, I can do great fescue. We can do great bench. But... Um, my whole argument was like, we're in this perfect place for bent greens. Like it's cool climate grass, it's cool yep. climate. Like let's yep. let's let's do bent. And um, but DeVries was sort of like we you're going to have to tone everything down a bit. And like the area is so interesting that maybe the greens will look a little bit out of place if they're all just a bit flat. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you know, and, and what the and. I don't have any experience in this. You'll be able to tell me. But my understanding is that um, fescue green, like 10 years in, your fescue greens are going to be way better than your bent greens. Yeah, like okay. Your bent greens might be amazing to begin with and everyone will be like, great. And then you're just dealing with all sorts of disease control. A lot of work. And all sorts of issues um, going on afterwards. So then you think, well, do we replace them and all that sort of stuff. So, Because um, you're always wanting, because fescue greens have never felt like they were a great surface immediately. It always like took so long. Yep. They're always a bit furry, and they always had that sort of wire brush feel. Um, while bent is always just so pure. Yeah. Um, but you know, they convinced me, and then I'm looking at some of these greens that uh, DeVries has has built on. <laughs> I'm pretty glad we did because they'd be impossible if they were bent. <laughs> be, I imagine the slopes wouldn't be conducive to to bent grass. They'd just be too fast. No. Do you, yeah. So to be able, because I often talk about this when I talk about golf course setup, golf prep as a super. I've I've done it. I've tried to to get the greens as fast as possible, and I worked on a golf course that was ninety years old, so it was built accordingly from a long time ago. So when you you mm. put modern practices on, everyone's screaming at you to get them faster. We would get to a point on a hot summer's afternoon, and the westerlies blowing forty k's. Uh, it would be too fast and balls would start rolling down slopes yep. they shouldn't be. So it limits what yep. you can and can't do. Um, and, and I've said because of that and because of where we're going, uh, we've got to dumb greens down. We don't have the fun factor in yep. them anymore. So you, you've, you've been yep. able to go with a fescue that's going to allow for bigger slopes in a sense and make it playable, make it work, which is great. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the idea. So 
mean, there's a slightly <clears> different <throat> mix, a finer mix, and more red slander than there is in the fairways. And sure. Stuff like that. But, like, you basically draw the ball festive. Mate, I know I've taken up so much of your time. One last quick question I guess I want to get out of you, if you don't mind, is five mile. We're talking, you, you mentioned yep. it before. Some people may have heard of it. Some people may not. Uh, it's it's the other golf course that wasn't too long ago announced that you're going to do nearby, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, is that going to, the land is slightly different. You said it's not on the giant dunes, I guess, as, as much as where you, you're building seven mile now. Um, is that has that been easier to, to think about with how seven miles going, and you mentioned this wouldn't have happened because Barn Bugle has been so so um, it's it's done so well. Uh, does all those things allow you to do a five mile? Yeah, I think we always thought that to be you know that sort of Kaiser um, quote about um, one course is a curiosity, two courses is a destination. I think that sort of played big on my mind. It's like the importance of having a second golf course just for that visitor number, that critical mass, you know, he always would, like Kai's would always talk about one plus one equaling three and not two because now all of a sudden people are staying, they're playing two or three rounds as opposed to just one. Yeah. So that was important from a business standpoint. Um, the other thing was it's it's such a bizarre piece of land because it goes up to 20 metres, drop down to two, and now all of a sudden you've got, Classic links land, like like classic links land. Okay. There is a dune in the middle. It's eleven. It's all very soft. It's all very rolling. It has very obvious corridors. It has five and six meter dunes, and then eleven meter dunes, and it goes right up against like the lagoon side. So it's got water on the other side. So I guess the way I've sort of described it is, it's like you've got the the wild Irish links, and then literally you walk down the hill and you're at the Scottish links. They're okay. right next door to each other. The first hole and the 18th hole of um, of Five Mile Beach are basically share a fairway. Like they're, it's not just down the road; it's the same site, and that's what is so kind of crazy about it is that okay to have that visitor experience. You know what I mean? You yep. go there and it's like so, like Lost Farm and Barn Boogle and Boogle Run, all awesome, all yep. fantastic. But it's a, it's a very similar piece of property throughout. So you're looking at two people's interpretation of what that is, and that's where you get the difference. Yep. Well, this is two completely pieces, different pieces of property, right next door to each other. Wow. So you know, all, all of a sudden, you've you've, de- you've definitely get a completely different experience. And also, Seven Mile, um, like Mike DeVries has done an amazing job with the transitions because, as I said, you go from zero to twenty to zero to twenty. You know what I mean? But the way you sort of, you never feel like you're just getting smashed going uphill, downhill, and all that sort of stuff. Well, five mile would be way more walkable as well. So okay. you know, for, for, for people who struggle, you know, who want to be out there, but it's like the idea of playing 36 holes at seven mile beach is just not, yep. not realistic. <laughs> um, you know, they can, they can play five mile beach and, and have a casual day. Or It's interesting when we talked about which course we'd build first, there was, we did, we, this is way back, way back. Yep. When we were first sort of looking at getting the land and trying to do the whole development at once. We thought that there's potential of Five Mile Beach would be a better golf course because it's such so classic and it's that that old mover, you know, thimble of, of dirt to build the golf course. Well, Seven Mile Beach was like, you know, it's going to be absolutely spectacular. But is the golf course going to be better than Five Mile when you, when you get into like the real nitty gritty golf yeah. architect nerd types? Yeah. You know, they might find something lots of silly or yeah. over the top or whatever. Um, so that's what 
having having those conversations with people who really know what they're talking about you know in the beginning um made me think that like we had to go and push on and try and get fight the land at five mile beach so we've gone through the first stage and now it's the da is now in with council so if they um give us the permit then five mile beach is is on for wow sure. Wow, super! That's just incredibly exciting, mate. It's uh, so good to hear that 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 five mile is is in a time sense just down the road. All things being equal, um, and you can yeah. move forward with that. I'll, I'll ask you one little question there. Um, in terms of of architects being involved, is that something that you will <laughs> will you go down a different path like a lot of people who do the resorts, or is it something that you haven't thought about yet, or you stick with the same? Yeah, no, we're, I've, um, I've thought about it a lot. Um, I really respect and like the way the Kaisers have done it. It's been so successful, and the way um, Barn Bugle have done it. So I'm leaning more toward um, having a different architect do course two. Um, but there's no contract signed yet, and every time we go down there, Mike and, and Mike, they're probably licking their all lips. The great things they could do at Five Mile Beach, but as, as I keep reminding them, let's get the first one right, and let's uh, let's worry about that. <laughs> oh, mate, very good, very very exciting. One last thought, mate. You've been incredibly kind with your uh, with your time today. I, I really appreciate. It. I know it's late night over there now, yeah. and uh, and and it's it makes the time difference a bit harder. Now I bought a couple of your seven mile hats which are probably barely coming up on screen because i got my my old golf course behind my head and i'm keeping one i bought two and i thought i'd have two different colors but what i'm going to do is i'm going to give one away for um people who are listening to this podcast mate so i'm going to ask you and they're gonna they're gonna get back to me um with the correct answer uh, and then I'll pick a name um, to come with it. So my question to you is for them for this giveaway for a seven mile beach hat and uh, my question is you've got right now as it is today, do you have a favorite golf hole that you're really looking forward to playing out there on seven mile? And I need you to pick one. I can't just say so I love far, them all. <laughs> no, um, so far, um, the one I keep going back to is 14. 14. 14. 14 so far, it's a part three. Oh, okay. And as Blake says, there's no great part threes. They're just... Uh, they can only be good. They can. You can't. The part three can't be a great hole, according to Clayton. <laughs> Fourteen. So my favourite. But there's, there's a, I will say, um, it is shocking to me when you go down there. It's like, oh, I wonder what they're going to do here. This could be a weak hole. That could be. I don't know. And then they build it, and you're like, this is incredible. Like it becomes your next favourite hole when yep. you haven't played it yet. Just looking at it. So, um, super talented people, and wow, they do an amazing job. Oh, mate, it sounds like you're very happy with how everything's going. It's been a long process. We're certainly, I can say I'm very excited having spoken to you a couple of years ago and, and been following intently along the way with every photo. You uh, look at these photos. I'm really excited about uh, about how it's going to look and how it's going to play, mate. So one day I hope to get down there and have a look. Uh, if it's before you open or after you open, I'm really excited by it. Thank you so much, Matt Goggin, for being on the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast and, and opening up about what it takes to, to build a golf course and to, to be the man behind the project as well um, mate you've been very kind and generous and we're really excited about what's ahead so thank you very much mate no thanks for having me it's been fun there you have it ladies and gentlemen matt goggin from seven mile beach and and obviously he's more widely known from from his golf professional golf career, which I talked about at the very beginning. But a great yarn, a great conversation with Matt. And uh, look, he's been on plenty of podcasts, and I was just so grateful that Matt could take the time 
over in the States, the time differences and everything. Uh, look, to spend time with me to record this interview, really appreciative. So thank you very much, Matt Goggin. Mate, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out to do so. And certainly thank you also, um, Matt for just being so open. There's lots of things and details and questions in there and the details of those answers that some people probably wouldn't have answered. And Matt said to me before, and look, Steve, I'm an open book. You know, whatever you ask me, I'm happy to answer. And and I was really appreciative of that. I wasn't quite sure um, whether, uh, you, you never know, but but some of those answers were were fantastic and, and complete open book. So um, Matt was fantastic in being able to bring that to me in the conversation, which ultimately brings that to you. Guys, I cannot say this enough and I will not stress this enough. You make sure, please, you go and follow Seven Mile Beach on their socials. Stay up to date. Matt has lots of audio updates through the through his website at, uh, at the Seven Mile Beach um, website. Going to have lots of links in the show notes. So uh, make sure you go back to there with the references to click on them. The website is the number seven. Uh, mile golf number seven m i l e g o l f dot com dot au. So please make sure you go there to keep an eye on everything that's going on. They've not too long ago updated the website as well. Some wonderful f- photography coming out. It gives you a sense of the landscape of where this is at. And I, like I said, I will not stress it enough, and I will keep talking about it as I do and walking the fairways and whenever I get the chance, because this is a really exciting project. This is something that's going to be very special on the golf landscape in Australia and an additional piece to the Tasmanian golf landscape which is just so special and it's making such great inroads for the Australian world of golf known internationally so very very exciting and uh and look something to keep following like I said um on their website sevenmilegolf.com.au the number seven and don't forget their social media uh you get plenty out of their Instagram as well lots of wonderful images coming from seven mile golf and that's there's lots of photography there from Lucas Michelle um things that commentary and bits and pieces from Mike Clayton and uh, obviously the CDP guys as a, as a team and architecture group. Uh, it's fantastic. So look, you're going you're gonna to soak it all up. I continue to say soak it all up. Get right into it and make sure you keep an eye out for when this thing opens because not only have we got seven mile, it's going to be really exciting. We've also, you heard there, was five mile, the, the, the next project, the next golf course that's part of the project overall. So super incredible location and a wonderful project and there's a lot that's gone on to get to this point there's a lot still to come there's a lot to go through and we can only support Matt and and the whole team of people that are involved uh, in this project um, in along the way and make sure that we we get down there when it opens to make sure we support it as well so however you do that and don't forget about the shop the seven mile beach golf shop they've got um, some great hats and things that you can do and and don't forget don't forget, stick to my socials because of that competition that I've got coming where you can win the hat, the Seven Mile Beach hat that I've got to give away. So um, make sure you stick to my socials very, very soon. Got that all for you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to Matt Goggin, a very, very interesting boardroom segment of the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. Guys, I thank you so much. And of course, don't forget, please like, share, subscribe to make sure this gets around to as many people as possible. And as I said at the top of the podcast, The Boardroom segment is sponsored by The Social Media Birdie. Check them out. Check us out at thesocialmediabirdie.com.au. As always, you hit them clean, we'll keep them green, and I'll catch up with you very soon. 